Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you'd like to see our lovely faces, there is unedited video of this discussion aired on the Partially Examined Life YouTube channel. Look for the link to the video at the post for this episode at prettymuchpop.com. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, always with a camera attached to our hips. We're talking about the HBO documentary show How To with John Wilson, which started in 2020, just wrapped up its third and final season. This is Mark Linsenmeyer, twisting and turning, never ending up where you'd expect. This is Al Baker wondering how to even begin talking about this show. (laughs) You are Sarah Lynn Breck. You woke up, (laughs) you had your coffee, and you went for your run. You tried to think of a clever opening line for this podcast, but couldn't think of anything. So here you are. This is Lawrence Ware, and I hated this show. Shots fired. I inflicted this upon you. This is an 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating. So I, I guess you as established critic can ruin that if you want to publish something. I'm not going to write about it. I'm not going to write about it. I, thought, I actually thought about writing about it. I decided not to write about it. Because I didn't want to mess up. the I, No critic wants to be that one guy who descends and like lets everybody know that they're like not in on the joke. So I chose not to write about it. But I really did not like this show. Let's try to say what it is. Al, do you want to make an attempt? How To With John Wilson has the form of a kind of video diary. He's kind of like a Garrison Keeler, a millennial Garrison Keeler in, in New York City. He just documents every single thing that happens to him and then manages to turn it into a commentary on something or other. And as, as Mark alluded to, the videos are styled as like how-to guides. So what are some of the titles? Like how to find a parking spot, how to put up scaffolding. Mm-hmm. How to put up scaffolding. And the shows begin by talking about how you might go about these things, but then invariably descend into some kind of commentary, Des- some more descend. profound than <laughs> others. Descend, I think, is the right word. It's decidedly weird. The way he uses footage is incredibly interesting. I don't know if I like it. Welcome. Come on in, man. Has anyone got anything to add about like the mechanics of the show? Because it is frustratingly simple, but also deeply weird. Yeah. I mean, he starts with that premise of a how-to, and then descend might be the right word. That is the right word. <laughs> But it goes places that I don't know that he necessarily expects. The show is about a lot of things. But one thing that I definitely kind of tapped into is how it's also about the creative process. So how we get to, you know, in 30 minutes, sometimes I would look up and I was like, how long is this episode? How far into it am I? I feel like I've been watching something forever and it's been like 12 minutes, you know? So I agree. Completely agree. (laughs) But I actually really found a lot to like in this show. I actually really, really was, there were times when I was crying from laughing. And then sometimes I was just crying because it was just so sad. I really found a lot of this show very moving. And talk about diverse voices. You don't hear this guy's literal voice, the tone of his voice, which is not have the smooth silkiness of a veteran no. podcaster, of a broadcaster, of a, of a news Very person. nasally. It's incredibly nasally. <laughs> it's like Kermit the Frog. It actually took me a little bit, at least a couple, at least one episode or two episodes. At some point, I noticed that he was doing everything, you know, in second person, but talking clearly just about himself. And I thought that might mm-hmm. be a one-time joke. And that just became like the entire premise of the thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that he had this in mind on the first episode or few or maybe I just didn't notice it, but it, it seemed a little more universal of this is actually what you might You ever notice when you look around and there's scaffolding everywhere. And then he talks about the scaffolding issue in New York City, which is an episode I found really interesting because I don't live in New York City. I don't think about all that 
that all the time, but it is weird how in New York City, every building has scaffolding, which is supposed to be this temporary thing, but just seemingly permanently as part of, you know, and what problem was this brought in to solve? I think, I think that's a great example sort of to start with. And then it becomes metaphorical of what are ways that which we try to protect ourselves. And so I don't see that as a dissent so much as a generalizing or, you know, often it's just a swerve that he'll just like interview somebody in the process of it that will clue him into something else completely. And he'll just go over that and he'll make some attempt to bridge it back. But it's not really. It's it's a different topic. Oh, so yeah. should I just should I just go in and, go, and list all the things that I hate about go, this? Go business? ahead, Lawrence. We've said some nice okay. things. I mean, you guys have been glowing. Well, Al was a little bit more on my wavelength. I'm generally glowing. Generally glowing. I really, I do really like it. You're not glowing. You're like not there glowing. Is, <laughs> there are some things. There are some things I didn't like about it, but there's much more that I liked better than I didn't. So yeah, go ahead. Take your <laughs> take your shots. Okay, so look, Sarah's glowing, Mark is glowing. I hate this damn show. This show read to me, maybe it's because I'm a writer. And like when I first started writing pieces, I would write things and then kind of go off on tangents and then come back to the main theory, like the main thing that I'm trying to talk about. And my editor is over and over and over again, like cut that out and be like, this is some good stuff here. And it would work well in a different piece, but not for this piece. This guy makes a show. Like he is a sophomore English lit major who follows all of the, his random thoughts and makes this show and films things along those lines of his random thoughts. And he starts off here and then he ends up way over here and it bothers the fuck out of me. It, it really, I'm sorry to cuss as much as I'm cussing. I really did not like this show. Like I felt like I wanted to text Mark. And be like, Mark, why the fuck do you have me watching this shit? Because I really didn't like this show. I did not like it. I don't like the way that he's undisciplined in how he's presenting his things. I don't like his nasally voice. It does not appeal to me. I don't like the way that he films things. Like, it's hard. Like, I think Al got to it. He films things in a really weird way. It breaks all the rules that I know is supposed to be followed when it comes to making documentaries or feature films, or whatever. He breaks those rules like with reckless abandon. And he does all these things. He does all the wrong things. And yet people love this. I, I do not understand it. it. Like Nathan Fillion is interesting <laughs> and he's doing something interesting. And I like what he's doing. Even though it Fielder, really, Nathan Fielder, Nathan Fielder what is, is also whatever. interesting, but not I was thinking about the, the Firefly person. joke. But <laughs> oh, oh, Nathan, you're right, you're right, you're right. That guy, he's interesting, but this guy, I don't think he's neurodivergent. I don't think that's what it is. Like he's just weird. I do not like this show. It really, really bothered me the tangents that he would go on, and then on top of that, there are episodes that are fucking disgusting. Like he does really disgusting things, and it really bothers me. And so all these things compounded to make it where I'm just not the target audience for this show. I think that I Maybe do not that's... have, I don't have the sense of humor. I'm not interested in the world, apparently, the way that he's interested in the world. Like, he really bothered me. Like, he talks about one thing, and then by the end of the episode, we're way over here. He reads to me like a guy who needs an editor, but because so many people like this, no one's editing him. Like, no one gives him notes, and it really bothers me. I think that's a, actually a really good point about being the audience for this particular show, because I think if you don't connect to him, he has described this entire series as a memoir. You know, this is, just like you said, Al, it's a diary. And if you don't connect to him, you're not going to connect to anything about it. I personally actually really connected to it. I found him... As a person, I really loved his curiosity. I liked that he was, he was just so present with the people that he was interviewing and, and generous in a lot of ways. And I found that really, really interesting. I, the people that he would interview would be people that I see in Philadelphia, actually, all the time. I see a lot of these types of people that you sometimes you you avoid them <laughs> you walk around them as you're trying to get on the subway or you ignore them and he definitely turns his camera on them and allows them to tell their stories and that I thought was was really 
interesting and moving, surprisingly moving. And it changed my mind also. Like I would think, oh, that person's weird. And by the end of the episode, after they had talked about, you know, like in the the very first, I, I just rewatched the very first episode where he goes to Cancun for spring break and he connects with that kid who just seemed to be getting high and drunk and Anyway, they had this conversation about people that they had lost and why they were in Cancun to begin with. And that's something that's, he never would have been able to get to that point at the end of that week in Cancun if he hadn't stuck with it. And that's a person I would never have, admittedly, I I wouldn't have paid any mind to. I wouldn't have really been interested in connecting with that person, but he was a really, really moving figure. Yeah, let me ask you if you you think any of these interviews are exploitative in the way that when we had the Nathan Fielder episode, it seemed like, you know, Lawrence, you were objecting that there was a whole focus. A lot of these interviews are much shorter, so it's a different thing. But there was a whole focus in one of the Nathan episodes on someone who you were thinking might be on the spectrum. And then just, just having this guy showing his weirdness was somehow exploitative. I don't know. I didn't get that feeling with this show in that way. But what do you think, Lawrence? I'm really not sure because my first inclination is to say yes. So talking about the Cancun episode, that episode struck me. And I watched all these episodes. I hate watched them, but I watched them. And that episode really made me uncomfortable because Sarah was moved by that episode. I felt very uncomfortable because that guy was like pouring out his heart about what he was going through. And I don't know if that is a good thing that he should have done. Like, it felt like he was exploiting the guy, the fact that the guy was hurting so much and he needed to talk to someone and he put him on camera. Like, if he wants to give him therapy, okay, that's great. But to put him on camera felt a little exploitive, right? Because he's like, ooh, this is a good television show. Ooh, this is really good. I got to capture this on film. That felt icky to me. I don't think anything that that you said about what you don't like about the show, like Sarah Lynn said, I don't think anything you said was wrong. I think you've described the show pretty well, but I think there's a lot of value in all of the stuff that you said you didn't like, in fact, pretty much all of the stuff that you said you didn't like. And one thing I think (laughs) is, is particularly beautiful about the show is exactly that he lets the premise of the episode be guided by the people that he meets while he's making it. And that's kind of explicit through the show. Are these people getting paid, though? Do the subjects of documentaries usually get paid? No, I'm sure they're not. I mean, they had to sign releases, though. Yeah, Yeah. they had to sign releases, but they're not getting paid. But if he's following where these people are taking him, these people should be compensated for taking him there. Maybe some of them... Or is this an entertaining show? Right, maybe some of them... I think they even made it clear with the guy in the exploding car episode... (laughs) The guy that was sort of there for a long time. Oh, he's a flat earther that he was getting paid. You know, he was like driving him all around. I, I don't know. That's my, that was my feeling with that episode, at least that there that was, was some budget that if it was like, let me do a ride along with you, then there might've been actual compensation involved. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you another question, Lawrence. Is it more exploitative to have someone spill their guts out to you and like take seriously what they say and alter the thing that you're making like on account of the depth of the interview that they gave to you or to give someone a surface level interview in which you coax out of them the material that you wanted them to say because it fit the thesis that you already had in mind. Well, of course, the second example is more exploitive, but I think that both things are bad. The second thing is the way like most documentaries work documentary and movie or like jordan klepper or somebody like yeah who's interviewing trump supporters uh look they said something dumb about trump and then they cut away and that's sort of much more typical whereas this was yes everybody's weird i the host am the weirdest of all as i will you know display throughout here and so it's just us being humans relating to each other and isn't it cool that you actually get to see what some humans that are probably very unlike you, how they think and talk about things. I mean, the people that lived in the area of New York that is below sea level. And so they like don't use regular toilets and they're talking about how they live off the grid. Like those are interesting damn people. And I thought they were displayed as respectfully as one 
could, given the weird stuff that they were saying. But even just like the vacuum cleaner convention (laughs) and the people who are really into Avatar, you know, it speaks to, and he was taking them seriously. He was interviewing them, finding out what they were into and taking it seriously. And then, you know, at the core of it, I wouldn't necessarily connect with somebody who is collecting vacuum cleaners. I was thinking, oh my God, I would hate to be married to somebody who collected, you know, had 75 (laughs) vacuum cleaners. But it was a way for them to connect with other people who were into the same stuff. And episode became about loneliness. It became something that was just all too human that I ended up relating to them on that level of humanity. And I just, and I fell for them, of course. And they each had their own stories to tell. I thought that he was not exploiting them. I thought that was very respectful. And it showed that every single person has that kind of a story to tell, even if we don't think we do, even if we don't think that we're all that, all that interesting. He's a lot less mean about it than Nathan Fielder is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He reminds me a lot more of Louis Theroux. I don't know if you guys have seen about that. Louis Theroux's documentaries, yeah, but there's yeah. that the effort to like find the humanity behind the weird behavior, which sometimes backfires enormously. But yeah, you can see it in both in both the guys' work. I will say that I did appreciate that he appeared to be very warm-hearted. Now, I would not like to have um because the guy feels like he would rub me the wrong way. But he does appear to have a warm heart. He does appear to have a big heart. And I appreciate that. But he's still making a TV show. And he's still trying to find the best way to be entertaining, to be funny. And while we may understand the stories and the humanity of these people, they're still freaking weird. And he knows that he's looking for weird people. He wants to kind of display the weirdness of people. And that feels, it doesn't feel great because our entry point into these places are their weirdness. And then we get to their humanity, but they're still weird. We still walk away thinking these people are weird, but we think they're weird, but they're also human, right? But that weirdness is the first point. Isn't that on me or on the viewer? Isn't that on, if you're approaching something in a place of judgment and believe me, I did, I did approach some of the people who were featured in a place of judgment, which is wrong. And by the end, I was able to admit I, w- I was wrong. You, the flat you know, earthers I, might I think, be right. You, you really like the flat well, earthers. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will not say that. But it yeah, was, flat earthers aren't weird at all. <laughs> I mean, I think that he's like, by using that second person voice, you know, he is inviting us in to that worldview and allowing our minds to kind of be changed. And I was really Honestly, I was kind of blown away by that. I didn't think that this series was was perfect by any means, but I was kind of blown away by that. I want to address one of the things that Lawrence brought up about the grossness. And so that I think it was that very same scaffolding one, which might sound from my description like that this is a good one to sort of introduce your spouse to the show on. But I think it's that episode that then gets to the guy that is trying to grow his foreskin back. That's not part of this. Oh, no, that was... So it's how to cover your furniture and it gets to a generalized thing about protecting things. You can see why I got it. Some of the themes are quite similar between episodes. But yes, getting to the foreskin guy who then there's a long shot of him with his contraption, with his penis just hanging out, trying to grow, you know, stretch his foreskin. I turned it off. I turned it off. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't see that. As soon as I saw what was about to happen. I did. I watched it. They of were. course you did. Of course, because he's a human being and he's not <laughs> you weird could at just all. look away like you do in the in the blood spatter. Uh, Wait a minute. You can. OK, you can watch that, but you can't watch The Exorcist. Come on, Sarah. I, I am going to watch The Exorcist. I will. I will. <laughs> yes, that was something that, you know, I didn't need to see as much of that. But that was a very. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys and that guy was not on the spectrum or whatever. He just had a very strong point of view about this thing. And part of it was, I'm going to be totally shameless. And that's almost a a social commentary in itself that people are too wrapped up about nudity, specifically male nudity. And we should just not have shame to talk about. And in fact, show our lack of foreskins or whatever. But that was, I think the first season we saw a lot of 
people who were, God, this is such a judgmental word, but people that I would characterize as maybe not very sophisticated. And I think as the show went on, we saw more people who had their own stories to share who were not as weird as that guy, you know, but who still had, you know, like the girl who was talking about, it was the, how to track your package. When she was getting her all of her organic food delivered to her apartment. And then she started talking about how she was, and she just seemed like just kind of a normal young woman living in New York City. And she, then she was like, yeah, but I'm worried because I want to save my eggs and I want to, and I need to be able to get the medication for that. And if somebody steals it, then I'm kind of screwed, you know? And it was like, whoa, she just shared that she is concerned about reproduction. You know, she was concerned about making another life, you know, in her own way, you know, that didn't necessarily involve marriage and a guy. So I just thought that was so, it was kind of a little reveals I thought were just so interesting and often really deep. Was there not one of them, Lawrence, that like struck you like yeah, actually, that's a not sophomore level, but, you know, a little better than that. Was there not one in the three seasons of episodes that struck you like that? No, there was not. I will say, though, that I do have a question about how he's fighting these people, because there is no way that he talks to a person and gets all these people to share with him these really weird, quirky things about him without him manipulating it somehow. Like, like I, I do not know how he's able to find these people that will just share these intimate details with him. Because one thing he does not come across as is as a great, like, interviewer. Like, Oprah is a really good interviewer who knows how to, like, get you to share things that you don't want to share. And, like, he doesn't come off as that. So how is he able to get a person to reveal these really deep, really embarrassing very human things about themselves where like a person's going to pull out his private parts on television and share it with the world. Like, like how is he able to do that? I think it's compulsion and monomania. I think he genuinely probably does very little else other than film stuff and talk to people. How long does it take to make a show like this? Like if I have like eight months in New York City walking around all day with a camera You've got to find like maybe 20 weird people in that time to make your show. I honestly think it's just a law of large numbers. Mm-hmm. For three hours of footage that, or three hours that you're going to show on TV. He lives in New York City. That's how he does it. But he's not successful every single time though either. And he will leave them on. Um, some of it made it into the show where he is denied. You know, he asks constantly, can I come into your house? <laughs> and I'm more surprised that people actually let him in than, you know, somebody who's just trying to get her pizza for company coming over is like, no, you got kind of puts them off, you know. But I'm surprised that more people actually do let him in and see their inner world. That guy who cooks him a a risotto shows him how to go and gives him really good advice on how to cook a risotto. Can we talk about that episode? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that just as a slice of that episode was it actually I I was weeping by the end. I I made my husband Josh watch it the other day and I was weeping again all over again. But that relationship he has with his landlord, how it starts out with him just wanting to do something nice for his landlord and then by the end it becomes this episode about the early pandemic days and how traumatizing it was. Such a good covid story. Like all the there was a good episode Making it all about like as, as as simple as I just, I want to share. Yeah. I want to share a bit of food with this old lady. And I love that he kept that conversation in with the, was it a friend of his who was a nurse? And they're just having that conversation with like, nobody knows. And it's so easy to forget that there was that long period when like nobody had a clue what was going on. No one knew. Yeah. Yeah. That episode was just, that's actually what kind of really reeled me in. I was a little ambivalent. I didn't actually even necessarily know what it was. I started watching this show before we decided to do the topic and I kind of gave up on it because I didn't really know what it was. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend all this time with this guy. 
But by the time I got to that episode, episode six, I was just a hundred percent in. I just thought it was such a, uh, so moving. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Let me, let me pull out another thread. I, I feel like, Lawrence, you're in asking, how does he get these people to talk? As much as this is a diary and we're sort of getting to know him, there's so much that we don't see about the few times where he is shown on camera, like where he was on the people's court or whatever from, from earlier. Like, that <laughs> yeah. seems a totally different personality. This very aggressive, kind of nasty person compared to what he has shown us when he's just talking himself. So I don't know how aggressive and wheedling and, you know, he is the rest of the time when he's not narrating in a first person way. And that's a good, a great point. I didn't think about how this may be a performance for him. Like this is not who he is, but when he's on camera or narrating, he kind of puts this affectation on and he's very nasally and he's very whatever, but in real life, he may be heart charging and very sophisticated and all that kind of stuff. So you may be right, right? You may be right. It may be just like a performance of some sort and that there are many facets to this person's personality. And when he's interviewing people, maybe he he does have a different way of being. And then when he's presenting things, he's like, oh, you know, I just walked down the street and scaffolding, right? And, you know, so I, I think that maybe you may be onto something there. I don't think so. But we don't know. I think that that's part of his thesis is really seeking out the truth. What is truth? You know, and not a dissimilar. I can see why Nathan Fielder was roped into this. What is real? And I think that he, this is a reaction to a lot of the documentaries that go in with the thesis and are, you know, are going to prove that thesis or argument or a reality show, how a reality show is just so manipulative. And I think he, this is a reaction to that kind of media. Just the time and care that goes into the visuals. There was a sequence that he's just narrating something or other. And what he's saying is illustrated by pictures of license plates that he has filmed, presumably, that <laughs> illustrate every single subclause. You know, so whether he wrote this with the license plate collection in front of him and constructed around of that, or he just looked long enough, like, what an amazing amount of work, you know, unless it was just like, let's go and CGI a bunch of license plates, which I don't think it was. I think he makes a point that this is all for the most part. He did say that about 80% of the um, footage, but he does have a team that gets all that B-roll stuff. And so if he sees something like the license plates or like buildings that have faces on them or something, he'll have them go out and look look for that kind of stuff because they'll have some sort of a bit or a joke or something that is going to build on that. I know. I love all of those sequences. I have a question, Sarah. So you said you weren't really filling the show until you got to episode six. Would you go back and watch those original episodes and now your mind has changed about those or did... What didn't work with those episodes still hold true for you? So I watched the first two episodes. No, I watched the first three. No, I did. I, I think I started with three when we decided we were going to uh, record this. 
And I watched him with Josh and Josh is, I think would agree more with you, Lawrence. He's not a huge fan of John Wilson and he thinks it's, it's kind of exploitive. I think it just makes him feel deeply uncomfortable watching the show. I like so Josh I was a lot. Like, I like Josh a lot. Josh is a good guy. I like <laughs> Me him. too. I, I like him a lot too. So I just thought, oh, if we're not going to watch this together, then it's one more thing I have to watch on my own. And I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it enough at the time to be able to, to watch it on my own. And I was actually really happy when Mark suggested that we watch the show to talk about it because there was something there that I wanted to understand, but I didn't put in the really the nerdy work I usually do to put in that effort to, to understand it. So yeah, the first two episodes, and now I went back and I watched the first episode again, and I kind of want to go back and see Scaffolding again too. But now that I've seen the whole thing, and I think also watching all of it in the past couple of weeks has helped too, to have a better, at least for me, to have a better, better understanding of what he's trying to do. Yeah, I wonder if this would be better taken in smaller doses than I took it because I just drank the whole thing all three seasons very rapidly. And so, yes, a lot of it is blurring together and whatever profound points. Again, I know we've talked about this many times before. As far as profundity on TV or movies, my expectations are so low. Just the fact that you're trying to do anything, like I'm just, yeah, that's great. And that there were some that were actually, you know, really emotionally affecting. So that was sort of all I needed out of it. Plus the just the obvious time and caretake with the visuals. What would you compare this to? Or is there anything like this that's on that you can think of? I think so. I brought up Louis through already. The two big things that he reminded me of, apart from, aside from Nathan Fielder, were Louis through and Adam Curtis. Adam Curtis also makes kind of weird documentaries with very stylized, like use of sharply edited footage to kind of punctuate his points. But his documentaries are extremely border on conspiratorial. He weaves like grand political narratives about how the technological establishment of the 1960s are responsible for like food prices in the 90s or whatever, like stuff that it's really hard to take at face value. But there's that kind of dreamlike quality to the way he uses the footage, which is very similar to what's going on in John Wilson. But I can't think of anybody on newish on TV making anything similar. It did strike me as something that you might fi- expect to find on YouTube before, like cable TV, in terms of tone and style. Joe Para, did you guys see his show on HBO? Joe Para talks with you, so he is much more straight, like Garrison Keeler esque than John Wilson is, and he appears on camera constantly. He's like a Mister Rogers in his just gentleness, and you're like, how much of this is a joke? I don't really... But there's much more artifice in it. Like A lot of it, it seems a lot more make-believe. So we watched a short documentary. It was like 45 minutes called Speed Cubers. It's on kids who are competitive Rubik's Cubers. And for some reason, that documentary popped in my mind as a comparison to this show because it starts out as one thing and ends up another thing. And it's not about the filmmakers at all. It's totally about these kids, but taking something that they're super into and how they all connect with each other and bringing in kids, you know, from all different kinds of backgrounds um, and all different kinds of abilities and how it really kind of just the Rubik's Cube, something, a toy is connecting all of them. I was like, oh, this is something that started out in a way that ended up very, very differently in a really beautiful way. I was surprised by how much I really disliked this show because I love those kind of documentaries where it starts off as one thing and it ends up something else. The documentaries, movies, books, whatever. I love things. Hands, like hands on a hard body. Is that one of them? You know, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. It sounds like it's a feature length documentary about people <laughs> in a competition where they have to put their hands on a hot car and the first one who takes it away. And it ends up being very much about the lives of these people and why they would be doing this rather than the activity. It just seems like it's a natural. And it's called hands on a hot body on a hard body. <laughs> That's I, like, I got taken aback by that. I was like, hands Sorry, on a hard I thought, body. I thought this was common knowledge. Very I was just illicit. to, to what you were saying. Illicit. I, I'm going to find it though and watch it. But I love those kinds of sh- like stories where it does that. 
But there's something about this guy and the way that he does it and the way that he pulls these things out of people that it appears organic on the show, but I don't think it's organic. And it feels like he's exploiting them. It feels like. So the speed cubers, let's talk about that. Speed cubers, you naturally get there because there is something about being neurodivergent and being drawn to those kinds of things, right? And so you kind of eventually get there in a very organic way. He doesn't do that. Like he doesn't organically get somewhere. He starts off with an idea and he randomly thinks about something else and he goes there and then he goes from there to there. Like it doesn't feel organic in any meaningful way. I highly disagree. I think that it is driven by, I'm trying to think what the, what the left turn was when he's in the grocery store and he runs across the guy who, do you even know what I'm talking about? I don't want to. The risotto? I don't think. Thinks I don't think so. It, it ends up he, he ends up going to a conference about, for is. is it when he goes to the referee store and runs into a referee and then there's a I mean referee that's a conference. great one yes well that's organic that that is an organic but not not all of his episodes are like that not all of his episodes follow things organically like sometimes so you go to the grocery store and. You interview 10 people in the grocery store and then you find the one person who kind of takes you where you want them to go. And then you follow that. That's not organic. That is searching for someone who's going to take you where you want them to take you. That bothers me, guys. It just does. You're contradicting yourself, Lawrence. You just you said at the How beginning. How dare you? How dare you? I'm a philosopher. I don't contradict myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. You said at the beginning that it was it seemed too random. It seemed like he didn't have any discipline. Both things are true. Both things are true. I think you're also ruling out like just documentary filmmaking. You shoot stuff and then you edit in the stuff that gives you an interest. The part that I was trying to remember was the how to improve your memory episode. That he runs into somebody who then <laughs> takes him to a conference. Let's go to the grocery store. How can you remember your grocery list? Like these very practical things. And he runs into a guy who works at the grocery store who then takes him to a conference who it's about people that think that the things that they don't quite remember correctly mean that we're now living in a parallel universe. Yes. How coincidental is it that that is actually a variation on the same theme? It's not just going off in some random direction. It's not like he ran into the vacuum cleaner guy or the referee or, you know, at the grocery store, but that he could then say more about, you know, with this very weird left turn of people who take the fact that lapses in memory or the fact that we all remember something about these product names or whatever. Uh, is it Stouffer's Stovetop Stuffing? No, it's actually Stovetop Stuffing is a different company than Stouffer's or whatever. Uh, but we all remember it as being that. So therefore, and you know, draw this giant conspiracies about it. And I love seeing little worlds like that of conferences like that. If that was all, even if that was the point, is I'm going to look, I'm going to make this show to be about researching weird conferences. I would have, I would have been in on that. It could easily be the case that like he met that guy at the grocery store one day and then was like, okay, I need to lead up to this somehow. Let me go back and film myself putting stuff in a shopping cart and we'll cut it all together that way. But I think and that's, that is not organic, but he did meet a guy in a grocery store who happened to like be a an app developer who introduced him to this stuff. Like if there's a bit, even if there's a bit of fuckery in setting it up. I have two things to say. First is to refute Sarah. Um, <laughs> my random statement had to do with him needing editing and him following he, these weird tangents. That was my random statement. Now back to this. So you mean to tell me that I can go into a grocery store, talk to a person who checks me out, and that person is going to be an app developer who is going to le- take me to a conference who's going to talk to me about the Mandela effect. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I will bet money, and I, I can't prove this, so this could be organic. It could be completely normal and not weird and no chicanery going on at all. But I will bet money that that guy sought out this person who does this and who goes to these conferences and just happens to work at the grocery store, and he set up going to the grocery store and meeting this person and doing this affectation and all that kind of stuff. And that reads to me more like filmmaking than a documentary, right? And that's what bothers me. Because that is not what I expect from documentary movies, television shows, stuff like that. That is more, let me make this happen and tell this story that I want to tell. 
I think if it were as cynical as that, there would be more producers on the credits. It seems like there's something wrong if we have to judge something by, depending on whether or not we know how it's made. It should either the thing itself, as it is presented to you, is enjoyable and textured and you appreciate the sophistication or lack thereof, or you don't. I dis- that, that disagree. I completely disagree. When we were talking about Nathan, Na- not Nathan Fillion, Nathan Fieldman, we were talking about that show. We- or even Nathan Fielder. Nathan that- Fieldman's a whole other guy. God well. damn it. I can't get this shit right. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, like when we were talking about the show, like 75% of our conversation was about how the show was made. Like we are interested in that. That is an important part of mm-hmm. these kinds of shows. How are they made? What's going on here? There's a huge amount about the show that banks on its authenticity, that draws on its authenticity to to make its points. I and think you're right. I if, think you're right. And if it is if it is as cynically put together as, as Lawrence is suggesting, which I don't think is the case, but I think that would detract from it. But we still never know. I mean, I, 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 I right. would we actually we don't know. love to see a how-to on how to with John Wilson. I would love to see the behind the scenes on this. How, I, how did John Wilson? How did John Wilson? There we go. That's that's good, Al. You should make television shows. That's a good name. But that last episode took a turn. I mean, speaking of organic, it took a turn because it was the how to track your package. They were trying to figure out how do they ship organs and his producer misunderstood what he was talking about. And instead of like your heart and your lungs and stuff, they went to organs that you like play in church and he just went with it. So how do you ship an organ? And then that took him to some restaurant that had one of the biggest organs in the country or something. The first part is he cryogenically froze himself. So it it becomes stuffed into how to deliver, how to track your package, how to deliver yourself to the future. That is the, the conceit of why this is still the same topic. But yes, go on the, the final piece of this when he's actually interviewed after they've had, right? This is after they show the conference of people who want to freeze themselves and the company and how they do things. And then it's revealed, well, you know, some people don't need to live on because they have kids. And then, yes, you tell the rest, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, I just thought that was such a perfect way to end it because it was on mortality and reproduction and about denying yourself pleasure. I just thought it was, I mean, it was, again, it was like both weird and sad and profound. I hate using that word, but it was, I thought it was, it ended on that note. And I kept thinking to myself, this guy needs an editor. I just don't think that John Wilson is your type of person. I I just don't think he's he's your person. No, he's too punk for you. I think the editing is, is tremendous. I completely disagree, Al, that he is too punk for me. I am the most punk rock person you know, sir. I can't believe. Did you ever live in a squatted warehouse in the New York? Oh, my God. That's pretty fun. I absolutely did not, actually. (laughs) It is funny, you know, kind of, again, how they're sort of slightly revealing stuff about him when they show his schedule. And, like, you think that this guy is a homebody, whatever, and then it's like, you know, went to bar until 3 a.m. What, like, if you actually, I might have paused (laughs) to read. You know, it's supposed to be about what a dreary every day is the same, but every day is like staying out till five or <laughs> five a.m. I mean, he lives in the city, so why not take it? Guess if you're a young person, that that the way that he introduces himself is by referring to like the girlfriend that left him because he was emotionally unavailable. That that he's sort of setting himself up that yeah, I'm not actually that good at relating to people. The whole first episode is how to get out of conversations, right? How to make small talk, and so that when people do. You know, the first one that sort of really shows herself is this travel agent, I think, who just starts going on about, yes, I got divorced and is like presented as way too much information. And somebody clearly was happy to talk to the camera, even though she was weird yet human, you know, in contrast to him who is, oh, I just can't even talk to people. Clearly that is. People just want to tell their stories. I mean, that's, I mean. So it's the camera. It's not that's him. That's what they're talking to him. He doesn't have the camera up here. He has the camera down at his hip. You know, they're talking to him. Lawrence is not having it. I'm letting you guys go off. Listen, I know that I was the most negative person on this show. Let me see if I can end on a positive note. Nope. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I can't, I can't <laughs> end on a positive note. I'm sorry. I, I genuinely, I was trying to think of something nice to say. I would not like to have beer with this guy. 
I think that's what it comes down to it for you. He, it's not. He's not my kind of person. Well, now that he's done with the show, I've invited him to replace Al as our as our co-host. So he's going to be here, <laughs> and, and, and you would have to replace every week. me as well. I love Al. And he's going to talk this like this every time. If anything, more friendly and outgoing. Does anyone have a better impression of him than that? That was not a good impression, but I feel <laughs> no, it wasn't. But no. no, I don't. So I didn't call you out. I, on it. No, just a any Muppet. Pick a Muppet. There are certain things that were definitely not staged, but like when he's like tracking your package what is the package in question let's see if i can find the silliest thing on ebay or whatever and so that just becomes a joke in itself that it's something to do with michael jackson and et i believe and which connects him with like a michael jackson (laughs) memorabilia salesperson which like that's interesting that's why i genuinely think the best explanation for how the show comes to be is is john wilson just runs around with his camera for six months finds as many interesting things as possible and then just cuts together what he can and goes and chases people up to form as coherent a story as, as he can. Because yeah, there's no way. Sorry. What was it? You were just, what was the thing you were just the talking E.T.? about? E.T. Yeah. And the, like, Michael Jackson. All of those, everything can't happen in the kind of time frame that he's suggesting that it does. But I think, I honestly think that's the limit of the artifice here. I think he is as weird as he says he is. I was watching, it was an episode from the most recent season. I think it was how to watch sport. Mm-hmm. I think it was, oh yeah, or something like that. And he followed a jet fan home, who had all this jet stuff. And I watched it after an Aaron Rodgers went down. And the only thing I could think about was that guy is really sad, right? Because he had a lot of hope for Aaron Rodgers and the jet season, and he's like that's the only thing. Like that's the only thing that I found interesting. Like it just it made me very sad for that guy. But other than that, I hated the show. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to disappoint Sarah. What would you like to see from him next? I think I know what Lawrence is going to say. But what would you like to see from, from John Wilson next? I'm not even going to respond. Oh, damn it. I have nothing. I'm I, not, I, don't, I would like for him to have a nice life. I don't, I don't <laughs> know what his other... That's what I would like I to see. I don't know what his other skills are in terms of, like, could he write a book or even essays yeah, that... Write a book. Or is it so dependent on the filmic or should he do a long Mm, form just documentary on a topic on a, not even a, a topic in terms of, I put topic in quotes, but on a particular, you know, this was my view of Burning Man or whatever that he wasn't allowed to film. That he wasn't (laughs) allowed to use. Yeah. I think he could be, he could be like the millennial Werner Herzog. Right, let's get him. If he, I, I think he's come got a grizzly man in him. Come on, Al, I think are he's you got a grizzly serious? man in him. Wait, I don't how, think he's as clever so? as Werner Herzog, but I think there's a similar element in Werner Herzog. Brings he's one of those auteurs that just brings his entire psychology into the films that you're he's right making. about that. And I think Joe Wilson has the same vibe, and it would be entirely a matter of finding the right subject. He doesn't have an ounce of the talent. Of Werner Herzog. Like, that would not be. Sarah, don't give me that look. He does not have an ounce I'm of giving a you that look. Of her, they're very, of they're very different. <laughs> they're very different filmmakers. Like, he's not, a, he's not as polished. Not at all. But that's, the, but that's not the kind of stuff that he's making. He is, I meant when I said he's punk, he's not, like, he doesn't care about mm-hmm. quality. Like, the kind of criticisms you're making, you're making of John Wilson, it's like going to the Sex Pistols and saying, I would like what you were doing a lot more if it was a bit quieter and more in tune. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would never say that to the Sex Pistols. I would say that a feature-length documentary in the style that he makes these kinds of short documentaries would be excruciating. That would not work. Because part of the reason why Sarah and Mark and Al, to a lesser degree, why you guys are responding so well to this is because it was short. It was bite-sized. It was 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, right? But if it was really long, it would wear out his welcome. It would wear my, you my out. experience was in seeing all the episodes rapidly in a row. So that basically that is as but if it was, was it, one. No, it is long. not. It is not. It's different <laughs> subject matter. It's different subject matter. No, I'm telling you, if he were to follow one thing too far, you would pull your hair out. I promise you, you would. I like, I think it, Al, you're suggested, you suggested conferences. I would love to see him do a series of conferences of looking at what di- you know, or what different co- conventions sorry not conferences yeah 
I'm going to a conference next week. So that's on the, on my brain, but conventions, like going to different conventions and seeing what people are, the weird things that people are into through that particular lens. That was some of the strongest stuff in the show. Like that movie Trekkies. That was, you know, (gasps) that is an example of the kind of thing that he could do. He could totally do that. I don't think he's going to do anything other than filmmaking, though. You really get the vibe that that's literally all, not only all he wants to do, but all the only thing he knows even remotely how to do. I would be interested to see him try, you know, with a real director of photography, a narrative filmmaking thing and see what that would be. Maybe it would be like... I feel like he might be able to do a good like indie drama kind of thing. It'd have to be a sort of scene with, it would have to be a comedy. With uh, Sasha Baron Cohen trying to do like a scripted movie. And now, like, that would uh, be interesting. That would well, be interesting. We've seen that, that like the dictator and uh, the brothers, whatever that Sasha Baron Cohen did. You know, So it's not unheard of for people to try to get out of there. Clearly, he talks about his high school attempt to film a uh, Christmas movie. And they show us very short <laughs> that, you know, actual filmmaking, I think, was the original intent before it became just this guerrilla filmmaking. But I like that he explores questions instead of answers. Like, that's, I think, what interested me about the series is that he is really, he's asking a question and he will seek, you know, see what comes up. You know, that's actually, instead of having going in with an answer. That, I think, I found the most interesting. Well, thanks to all of you, and thanks to the listeners. I'm happy you guys enjoyed the show. I'm happy you <laughs> I'm going to try to announce again that we will put the After Talk on the public Pretty Much Pop feed. So if you're hearing this through the Partially Examined Life feed, or you're just watching the video, for instance, then uh, in addition to the Patreon, just buy for free subscribing to the regular feed you can hear (laughs) some extra talking that we're about to engage in in moments (laughs) all right bye everybody Bye. bye guys Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. You can also now get all the bonus content directly through Apple Podcasts by signing up for a paid subscription there, which gets you ad-free episodes and extra talking not only for Pretty Much Pop, but also for my other podcasts, Nakedly Examined Music and Philosophy versus Improv. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.